morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. My breath must smell bad because y'all are, are far away. You got brave, brave people in the second row here. Well, Christmas is a time where you know everything is uh, the most wonderful time of the year and very special and sentimental. And I don't know. I don't know about you, uh, but the the pressure <laughs> that was put on this this time as a kid made it way less fun for me. I don't remember these dates. I just use these numbers like because ballpark. But in my family growing up, there was the great ham crisis of 1996, where we got back from the Christmas Eve gathering from church, and the timer on the oven hadn't, hadn't gone off or hadn't gone on or something. It was a ham crisis. And uh, as a kid, I, I didn't really like ham. I'm still not crazy about it, but, you know, it, you put some mayonnaise and mustard, it can be okay. <laughs> That's my boy. Uh, and so I was like, oh, great, there's no ham. Like, I'm sure we can find something way better than that. But, of course, my mom was devastated. And I just, like, I can still picture in my mind, my mom, like, she kind of ran out of the kitchen, is in the living room, you know, sobbing about the ham. And I just it was like, this is not what, <laughs> this is, this is not what, what, I'm, what I'm going for at Christmas. Uh, conversely, there was the incredible pizza celebration of 1998. Again, these are ballpark dates. I don't, you know, remember the dates super well. Uh, where we were driving home from our Christmas Eve service, and we took a strange turn, and then we took another strange turn, and then we pulled into the parking lot of Donato's Pizza. I don't think we have those up here, but that's, that's all the rage down in Columbus, Ohio. And I lost my mind. It was like the greatest Christmas Eve ever. And I say, I tell these funny stories uh, because I don't know if you can relate that, you know, this time of year we're like, oh, it's got to be special. It's got to be cozy. Like, we need to make this really elaborate. We have these visions of what the meal is going to be like or whatever. And to me, the, the, the most fun was, was, wasn't in the, was in the ordinariness of pizza. And I think as we look at the story of Jesus' birth, as we're looking at the mothers of Jesus, we looked at some of the women and his family tree. Now we're looking at literal mother of Jesus, um, his mother Mary. Uh, we see, I think, uh, to some degree, pizza-eating little kid Josh on Christmas Eve is a little closer to the heart of Christmas, which was incredibly ordinary. It was an incredibly ordinary situation. And as we looked through J- Jesus' family tree, we wanted to ask the question, what does this show us about God, and what does this show us about ourselves? And I think in Mary, we'll see that, that God shows us that he works in ordinary ways and ordinary people. And that might seem quaint or trite, but I, th- I think it's really kind of countercultural in a lot of our uh, church experience or maybe our Christian culture in this country. Um, maybe it's a generational thing for me, but if you grew up in youth group or college ministry, it was all about kind of one spiritual mountaintop to the next. You had like summer camp, and then you had a fall retreat, and then you had a Christmas retreat, and then you had a spring break trip, and then you had another, you know, you just kind of like kind of hold tight, try not to drink or sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend until you got to the next like retreat or like spiritual experience. And then real life comes along and there's just no one's putting on elaborate events for you to feel feel excited about God anymore. And you know, we we come out of these experiences, they're all called things like ignite or catalyst or set a flame and these you know no one's talking about working quietly with your hands in these conferences and it's kind of a Christianized version of, you know, you can be whatever you want when you grow up. You can be, you can be president of the United States. And 
if you settle, as we settle inevitably into ordinary rhythms of being married to a person and having kids and changing diapers, showing up to just a normal job day after day. And, I, and my hope for us today is that we'll see that in, the, in that grind, in the being married to a person and working a job and showing up to the relationships we have and being faithful to the things God's given us, uh, this is an invitation to follow Jesus together, to see what it means to actually follow Jesus. In Mary, we see that God does glorious things through ordinary people. And to be even more specific, we see that God does glorious things through ordinary courage and ordinary people. This is completely different from any kind of hyped up revivalist culture, like for such a time as this, I'm going to go and do something extreme. Instead, we see God calling us into intimacy with him, doing simple, ordinary things that absolutely require courage. The more I study the Bible and consider what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, the more I see that it's not actually the big events that shape us the most in our life. It's not actually the, the big, spectacular things that form us into the image of Christ, but instead it's small decisions made day after day that then uh, turn into habits, that then turn into a character for how we are in the world, these habits, these decisions uh, that, that make habits form us into a character, and then that character is a little bit like a train, and it takes us to a destiny in ordinary places is where our destiny is found. Ordinary places is where we meet God in these little decisions to look upon him or to look not upon him. And in these ordinary places, we see God do glorious things. So let's walk through our, our story here and see what Mary shows us. Look with me in verse 36. Following along in your Bibles, this is page 1588. Luke 1, verse 26. Pew Bible, it is 1588. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Let me read 27 as well. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph and a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we see in the birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, the cosmic ruler of the universe, through which everything that has been made was made, was, came to uh, the announcement of it, came to the small town called Nazareth, to an unwed teenage girl named Mary. Nazareth at this point in history was a kind of you know, nothing town. It was about 200 people. Uh, it, w it wasn't totally like out in the boonies. It was maybe an hour and a half away from a, a bigger city, uh, if, if you will. Um, not maybe totally unlike Big Rapids, where we're a little bit outside of Grand Rapids and we're a smaller town. But what we see here is that God comes to a place. This is just one of the mind-blowing things of the incarnation, is that God took on flesh, which meant he was now in Jesus, bound time and place on, on earth. There's a time and there's a place where God enter in, and it wasn't the super exciting metropolis where all the movers and shakers hang out. What we see here is that it's not about where you are, but it's about being where you are with God. It's not about where you are, but it's about being there 
with God. We're a very transient society now. Everybody's moving around everywhere, kind of ch- running away from their demons or chasing some dream uh, that, of satisfaction in a different place with different people that's better. But we see that the, the point is not where you are, but it's, it's being where, where God is. And because he's omnipotent, he's an omnipresent, he's everywhere. And then verse 27 He came to Nazareth, and then he came to a virgin pledged to be married. The woman's name was Mary. God, one of the first people that God breaks is 400 years of silence, and scripture was to a woman. God speaks through Gabriel to a woman. And not just any woman, a kind of nobody. A a young girl who was unmarried, who didn't have kids. Uh, This time, she probably would have been 12 or 13, a very, a very young girl. She was poor. She was uneducated. Continuing our, our train of thought here, we see it, it doesn't necessarily matter where you are, and it doesn't matter necessarily who you are in the world's eyes, where you live, what your status is, how much money you make. But what matters is what we see Next, look at verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do you see that? That God came to this ordinary town, this ordinary woman, and he's with her, and he favors her. And the word that we translate favored there is actually the, the same word that we also translate grace. You who are highly graced by God. One of the working definitions we use for grace here is Un- undeserved favor, unmerited favor. And we see that here. What matters is that you're with God and you're with him by grace. Like how much incredible thing she, could she do to earn God's favor by the time she was 13 in this small town? Not a lot. Furthermore, and this is just like mind-blowing to me, but the, 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 the word in the original language, it carries this sense of adoption. It's like a a blessing or a, a grace that a father would bestow on a child. So this nothing girl from a nowhere town hears mighty Gabriel, strong man Gabriel, saying, don't be afraid. The Lord who adopts you is giving you a gift, is with you, and is giving you a special gift. So I hope that you can hear the, the call to the good life and being free from comparison because there's always going to be someone more impressive out there. There's always going to be someone who has a better leg to stand on when you're, when you're measuring the tallest midget, if you will. Someone who makes more money, who's further along in their career. But we see that's just not how God operates. Those aren't the people that he comes to. Second point is that God uh, enters in, Jesus enters into the story uh, through ordinary emotions. Ordinary courage is found in ordinary emotions. Look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. 
Mary's afraid. She's troubled. She's bothered by this. So we just had like this miraculous deal with a vision with, or with a real angel coming and saying, you're favored. God's with you. And she's afraid. Have you guys ever like received a gift, received grace, received something good and been worried about that? It's like someone buys you like a delicious steak and you're like, should I do something? Do I write them a letter? Do I need to take them out now? You know, we're like, we're, we're terrible at just receiving grace. And so we see Mary responding the way a lot of us do when we stare something good in the face and we just can't, we can't accept it. There's, there's an element of fear to good news because uh, good news unsettles us and kind of changes the, the paradigm and sometimes might require a, a, a change to fully embrace it. Or maybe you live life waiting to see God in some spectacular way. You're like, someday I'll see God. Someday I would love for an angel to show up and tell me that I'm doing it right. Like, hey, it's okay. You're in. But we see that this kind of interaction is actually kind of terrible and troubling. The angel wasn't saying anything that Scripture hadn't already said to Mary. But the ordinary emotion is fear. And I, I point that out because to enter into a relationship with God requires courage on some, on some level. And we see that as we look at the, at the next chunk. We'll skip a few verses and go down. Um, this is after the angel just said, hey, you're going you're gonna to have a baby. And he's going to be the king. He's going to be the son of the most high. And he'll never see an end to his kingdom. Look how Mary responds. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Which isn't like a you know, illogical question to ask. If you're told as a woman, you're told you're gonna you're gonna <coughs> have a baby and yet you are not married and have not been with a man. But what is so interesting to me as I consider the the, the kind of the whole Je- uh, story of Jesus' birth is that the angel is pretty gracious and explains it to her, explains how it's gonna work. And this is a very different kind of question and answer experience we have than Zechariah did just in chapter 1. So if you want to look over there real briefly, flip over to uh, verses 19 and 20, Luke 1, 19 and 20. Zechariah is a priest, and he's doing his priestly duties, uh, if you will, and an angel shows up and says, hey, your wife is going to become pregnant, and uh, and look what, look what Zechariah said, verse uh, 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until this day happen, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. It's a very different response that Zechariah got than, than Mary got. So what's going on here? What does this show us about courage and ordinary emotions? I think what it shows us is that there's two ways to ask the question, how can this be? One is rhetorical, where you're not really looking for an answer. It's just a proud, c- cynical way of just trying to get information that is really the opposite of courage is really cowardly. Cynicism on the whole 
is just kind of cowardice dressed up in intellectualism. That's kind of what we see in Zechariah's question. He wasn't genuinely looking for an answer. He was scoffing. Do you hear like the bitterness in his heart? Like, how is this going to happen? My wife is super old. Like, you hear the, the decades of infertility coming out in this, this hardness of heart? So he's afraid to open his heart up to hope. He's afraid to actually see an answer, even when this heavenly being appears to him. His cynicism, on the whole, is really just cowardice, dressed up in intellectualism. But the other way to ask the question, how can this be, is a legitimate, humble request for information. It's genuine doubt. There might be like a seed of the same kind of doubt in, on both types of this question. But there's, a, there's an openness, a bravery from openness to actually receive information that you don't already have. Do you see the humility there? I'm going to ask this question. Actually listen to an answer assuming that there's something beyond what I understand and know that, might, that could happen here. Doubt in and of itself is not brave or courageous, but doubt that actually is open to information, doubt that actually causes us to listen and to look and to be teachable is deeply courageous because it's vulnerable, because it, it has us open our hands off the, the paradigm that we've been working with and consider something new. When we really listen for answers, we, we're willing to think deeply and consider something different and listen, that's, that, is, that is courage. And we see that in the mother of Jesus. So ordinary emotions. We have fear, we have intimidation at the, at the word of good news. And then also we see a, a, a legitimate doubt expressed in humility and receptivity to the answer. These are the kind of people that, that God works with. The last point is that we see an extraordinary God and an ordinary okay. The reason why we can embrace our ordinariness is because our God is extraordinary. He is the only one. He's the, he's the unique, holy, most high God, and so we don't have to be any of that. We can be incredibly ordinary and let him be extraordinary. Mary asked the question that we read, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel responds, look at verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Here's the money. For nothing is impossible with God. The answer, how can this be, is God. The answer to how can this be, this impossible thing, is that there's nothing impossible with God. Do you see that response to this question that comes from doubt? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a response that lifts her eyes, that it will be a miracle. God will be with you, and that's how it's going to be. That's how it will happen. God's presence will be with you. And then look at Mary's response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. 
then the angel left her. This is a very ordinary response. <laughs> to some degree, she's just like, okay. This is submission. And I, if you're filling up the blanks, I made it a little blank, and we're putting okay there. This is an ordinary okay from Mary, but it really is submission, which is one of the most unpopular words in our culture, whether you're on the right or the left politically. None of us want to submit to anything ever. We want to be unfettered and do what seems right to us. But, in, but what I, I put okay there because in practice, submission looks like saying okay to something beyond us. It looks like saying okay to a, a rule, a way of life. And obeying. So submission doesn't have to be this huge, incredible, scary thing. It has to be lifting our eyes up to a God with whom nothing is impossible and saying okay. But I want us to see here, before we get to the rest of the story, is that there are no huge thrills of hope yet. Do you see Mary being very excited? She's an unwed teenage girl who's just told she's going to get pregnant. Like, where does your mind go there? You know, like this, to some degree, it's good news because his kingdom will have no end, but in the media, it's objectively bad news. Like, she's, set, she's being set up for all kinds of cultural ostracism, for societal critique. So she says okay. It's an ordinary okay. It's an ordinary okay in the sense that she's not super giddy at this point. She's not jumping for joy. She's, she's not feeling it, if you will. It, it, she's not living her truth by saying okay. She's just living God's truth. Let's look what she does next. First off, look at verse 31, skipping back here a little bit. This is part of the, the ordinary okay. The angel says, you will be a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son, the Most High. We see here, oh, hey, buddy. <laughs> we see here that part of the okay of Mary's, Mary's submission without any thrills of hope, is that she's not even going to be able to get to name her own baby. Parents name their kids and make a lot of other choices for their kids. Why? Because they're older and they're in charge and it's their responsibility. Jesus was the only baby who was born to parents who weren't in charge. He's the only baby who was born to parents that was older than his parents. He's the eternal son of God. You don't manage Jesus, he manages you. Do we want Jesus in our life? Then it will be on his terms. We see here in the way that God works in the world, the type of ordinary uh, okay that he's looking for, it pierces through kind of our... our, uh, in each camp, where we want to be a Jesus follower, but also we want to have a foot in the camp of my kingdom, that where I do what I want to do the way that I want to do it. It's that, I, yeah, I follow Jesus, but, or Jesus has some good, helpful things to say in this area, but not this area. This area, I am king in. 
And maybe in our church, it's easy to point fingers at certain things that we don't struggle with and say, well, I submit to God in that area. I, I am not overtly stealing or my sexuality follows the, the structure that Scripture calls us to. But what about our money? What, does Jesus ever talk about money? Yes, a lot. What about, our, what about our TV habits? What about the time that I wake up with my day? Now, these aren't necessarily questions of sin or not sin. This is a question of, am I submitting? Am I saying okay to Jesus? Is what I'm doing in these little decisions in my ordinary daily life, is that really presenting my body to God as a living sacrifice? Or do I just say okay to Jesus by coming to church on Sunday or whatnot? But then, inevitably, what happens when we are trying to be our own king is that our life starts going bad. One of my favorite Proverbs is, says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, we all die. That's a paraphrase, but that, that, is, that is the essence. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. And so we start seeing problems in our life. We start being depressed and anxious, and we're, we're struggling, and we, and we start to doubt the goodness of God. When Really, we've only dipped our toe into his way of life. We haven't embraced the, the ordinary okay of following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus as long as I am still in control. And a perfectly ordinary uh, example of this that I think is really a glorious moment of God breaking into our lives was uh, when a, a church member decided to take a break from coming to a connecting group because uh, driving in the winter was unpleasant, and uh, which it objectively is. And, uh, and so this was going to take like a, a, a winter-long break from, from meeting, meeting and connecting group with God's people, which is sad because we like this person a lot. Uh, but then this person shows up that week at Connecting Group and said, I realized I was telling God, I was dictating the terms, that God was calling me into fellowship with his people, and I was saying, well, like, only when the weather is how I want it. Do you see the ordinary, beautiful submission to that? Like, I'm going to do this thing that I don't like, which is driving at night in the winter, which is a normal thing to not like, and saying okay to what God has called, even though it's not not according to our preference. If we think of like the okay to God, the ordinary submission to, or we think of spectacular submission, it's like, I will receive a call to go to Africa for the rest of my life. God's calling you, for sure, do that. But we miss all these thousands of little decisions in our ordinary daily life where we need to be courageous and say okay to God and let him shape us. So there's no thrills of hope. Mary says, okay. She welcomes Jesus into her life as Lord, even as, she, as he is being knit together in her womb. But what does she do in response? Look at verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What, is, what does she do? She, goes, she enters into community. Uh, 
She says okay to God, and then she goes into another one, goes to spend time with another one of God's people. Look, look how it goes, look where it goes next. Verse 42. In a loud voice, this is Elizabeth talking. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her. Believes what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is such a beautiful picture of we have kind of like a feelingless Okay, a feelingless submission. Let it be as you say, I will be your servant. And then she steps into life with God's people, into community, and her soul glorifies the Lord, and her spirit rejoices. The joy of the reality of God being with her didn't actually hit, didn't actually register until she experienced it in community with other people. She experiences this good news that God is now with us, with someone else who affirms it, confirms it, enjoys it. You see how, like, completely ordinary, just two small-town pregnant women. One is too old, the other is too young, hanging out with babies given by God. And in this place, Mary, Mary worships. You see how the, the okay, the submission happens first, and then in community the joy begins to come. Look at the rest of her song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You see, the, this, this prayer, this, what's it called? The Magnificat? Is that the, the fancy term for it? Is anything but ordinary said by an incredibly ordinary person. Why? Because it's about her extraordinary God who's making all this real as she experiences it in community. She's worshiping in spirit and in truth. It feels real to her on an emotional, experiential level. So that she's had the courage to say okay despite her emotions, and she stepped in, had the courage to step into community. And then we see her spirit rejoice we see her glorying in all these beautiful things that are now real to her that his mercy extends to those who fear him that he's performed mighty deeds with his arm my prayer for today is that we would hear an invitation to ordinary courage that we'd see the life of mary someone incredibly ordinary and see her courage her respond to grace with courage. We see her ask questions of God, the how can it be's of our life, and actually listen, 
actually be open to things being beyond our scope and of understanding. And then to say okay and press into community with your church family. And I, I, what, I, what I'm saying is that all of this takes incredible courage. All this is something that we can pray for. It's okay to be scared for. It's okay to feel like it's beyond what you can handle. Because God will give you what you need. Like, can we just say that submission and community are scary things? Saying okay to something not us, to someone not us, is scary. Community is scary because it's other people that have their own decisions and interactions and and, uh, reactions. But we say okay, trusting God, that I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said, is, is the bravest thing you can do, even if you don't feel it. We think in our culture that the Lone Ranger is brave. It's brave to stick it out on your own and stick it to the man and go rogue and stay in control of everything in your life. But that's actually just a completely fearful, cowardly way of self-preservation that ultimately will destroy us. It's not how God brought redemption into the world through his son into the world. Jesus didn't come as a solitary figure, a a rogue rebel. He came as a a very normal carpenter who then spent a lot of time with 12 goofy, not-that-smart guys. And that's how God can bring the life of Jesus into, into our lives. If we're willing to say, let it be to me, do what you want in my life, I give up my rights. Then in a, in, a, in a different way than Mary experienced, that the power of the Most High will be with us. God's life will be born in us. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the gift that we get, that we see coming uh, in Luke 1. This is what we celebrate, that now God is with us, and we say okay and receive his power. And we know that we can trust him. We know that he's good because of Easter. Because this baby... We'll have a night where he was betrayed by those closest to him. And in the dark night of his soul, as he, as he was praying to his father, he said, I don't want to do this, but let it be as you say. Not my will, but your will happen. He was courageous for us, and his courage, Jesus' courage, covers our cowardice and promises to change it into courage if we ask him and show up to it. We see that all things are possible with a God who takes the unjust, the innocent death of his son and brings about the redemption of the entire universe for you and me. And then our souls can magnify the Lord. Let me pray.